Sense and Sensibility, the Inflation Guy podcast. I am Michael Ashton. I am the Inflation Guy, and I'm your host. And today on the podcast, I'll cover the monthly CPI report. Uh, This month's report was a surprise on the high side, but in a bigger sense, it wasn't that much of a surprise. I'll explain that in a moment, but first, a word from our sponsor and the trivia question. This episode of Sense and Sensibility is sponsored by Simplify ETFs, a fast-growing ETF shop democratizing access to the most sophisticated alternative strategies. With diversifying strategies like market-neutral equity long-short, managed futures, and multi-strat quant, Simplify has a suite of compelling tools to help address the biggest concerns with the classic 60-40 portfolio. Check out their website, Simplify.us, that's Simplify.us, and you can find their entire lineup of ETFs at Simplify.us slash ETFs. Thank you, as always, to Simplify, who they've been a persistent uh, sponsor of this here broadcast, and we do appreciate it. And now the trivia question, then we'll get started. So the trivia question is, uh, we have to go back a little ways. Back in the 11th century, what did the wife of Earl Leofric, Leofric of Mercia, do uh, to, uh, according to legend, to persuade him to change his evil ways. So what did his wife do, the Earl of Mercia? What did the wife of the Earl of Mercia do to persuade him to change his evil ways? Okay. So the... uh, the specific trajectory of CPI prints are obviously always a surprise. If they weren't, we'd make way too much money trading them. Uh, but the general trajectory often isn't that much of a surprise. So we've known about this general trajectory that, we're, that we've been seeing from inflation for, for quite a while. Uh, but the recent low monthly prints that we've been having before this month, led some people to get all excited and think we were on this wonderful trajectory to price stability, Fed has won, game over, let's all go back and buy stonks. Um, we we haven't been on that wonderful trajectory, uh, but it took a number, you know, it'll take a number, uh, maybe a couple numbers like we got today to sort of, you know, bonk these people on the head and, and get them to understand that, no, no, the, the, the same story that we've been following for a while is still the story. There hasn't been this, has not been this sudden shift to going back to price stability. Uh, even though break-evens, uh, inflation break-evens are, are acting as if we're already basically there. Um, the general story for a while is, it has been this. We are no longer talking, obviously, about the peak in inflation, but on where inflation is going to end up when it stops receding. And, and by the way, I don't think very many people are still talking about deflation and thinking that prices themselves will go back down, but inflation is, is receding. The rate of, of increase in prices is receding. How far does that go before it stops? And the move from 7% inflation down to 4%, was the easy part. And now comes the hard part. From 4% to 3% is going to be much harder. And I don't think we're going to get from 3% to 2%, at least not in any sort of sustainable fashion. 
going into today's report, which is the um, the September CPI released in, in October, um, there were a few things that we knew were either going to happen this month or if they didn't happen this month, they would happen next month. Uh, for example, used used car auctions have been very, very strong since the strikes uh, against U.S. automakers imply that the, the supply of new cars is going to at some point, you know, is is going to dry up, and 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 the inventories of new cars out there are going to slowly be diminished. Although, it it does look like most car sellers, uh, anticipating this a little bit, you know, did have larger inventories of new cars, but but those are being drawn down, and and so used car auctions have been strong because obviously if you run out of new cars, you have to displace over to used cars. Which, by the way, is exactly what happened in COVID. Um, there also was no production of of new cars going on, and so everyone had to buy used cars. It's not going to be that dramatic, but it's the same. The arrow is going in the same direction. So we've been looking for, we've been expecting that used car prices are going to go back up. Uh, but the Black Book survey of of used cars and the Mannheim survey and some other things, um, they weren't showing yet that that used car prices were going to go back up and the CPI is never, never runs ahead of those surveys. So, so the odds were that we were going to get a small seasonal decline in, in used car prices. Uh, and in fact, the decline in the CPI was more than the usual seasonal decline and actually then a small drag to inflation to CPI. Um, so that's going to be a next month ad to be aware of. Okay. So, we we have a pretty pretty strong sense that used car prices are are in fact going up, and what we just got was measuring kind of the end of the decline of used car prices at least for a little while, um, and it was a little bit more than we expected. So we expect that to to get paid back next month. We also knew that airfares have been running too low for the level of jet fuel. You can kind of run a neat little regression of airfares versus airfare CPI versus jet fuel, and we're quite a bit below where we should be for the level of jet fuel prices. Jet fuel prices have been going back up. Um, and so, actually, not last month, but the two months prior to that, airfares had dropped 8%, which is nearly unprecedented. And for it to happen back-to-back was just weird because there was no sign that airfares were actually dropping that much. Um, and last month, we had a nice pop higher in airfares of 4 or 5%. And we had a small gain this month but not nearly enough to sort of erase the discrepancy between the level of airfares and the level of the jet fuel. By, by the way, that could be erased by jet fuel prices going back down as well, and, 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 and that could happen. Um, but at least for the, level, the current level of jet fuel prices, airfares are too low. And so, again, that's a potential ad next month, and I've got it penciled in as, as an ad as well. Uh, last month, we had a large decline in lodging away from home. And we expected that would be reversed this month, and it was, so we can cross that one off. It's not going to be a big issue going forward, but it was, it played to form. Uh, and we also know that, that health insurance would be a drag this month. It has been for 11 months. It, it you know, goes on for about a year. I've talked about this before. It, the BLS makes this estimate of sort of this health insurance plug number and then smears it out over 12 months. Um, And that 12 months is coming to an end. Um, 
the BLS is changing its methodology, uh, not in any kind of suspicious way. And in fact, they're kind of shortening the adjustment period. So smearing the next six months together instead of 12 months. So we'll actually get, we're, we're expecting, we were expecting, we're expecting next month to, instead of being a drag of four basis points a month to be an ad of something like two basis points a month for the next six months or so. Um, so all of a sudden that, you know, adds a nickel or six cents to, to core CPI compared to what the same number would have uh, produced this month. Um, anyway, that's next month's story, but it means that the forecast for core inflation next month will be higher or should be higher than they have been. What we got this month that we didn't expect was a reacceleration in rents. Um, we got it, and that led to the overall surprise of core inflation coming in at, at 0.32% month on month and median being 0.47% month on month. Going in, prior to the number, the expectation was for 0.26% on core. So that's a reasonable miss, six basis points miss on a monthly number, um, even though uh, both the forecast and actual both round to 0.3. So th that 0.6 forecast rounds up to 0.3. The actual 0.32 rounds down to 0.3. And it looks like the number came in right on target. It didn't. It was a decent miss. But um, but it does sort of look at, since what gets reported generally is the first decimal place, um, it looks like the economists did a really good job here. Um, but uh, But it wasn't. So here's the big picture on rents. Okay, so again, it sort of reaccelerated this month, um, but but let's back up and and remember the whole story to rents because it's it's crucially important for for figuring out the trajectory of inflation going forward. As I've said for a long time, if you can figure out where rents are going, you're not going to be off in the big picture on where inflation is going because they just don't tend to move opposite directions for very long. Here's the big picture: rents were artificially held down during COVID because of the eviction moratorium. Rent inflation was, was quite low. Landlords couldn't raise rents because the risk was that a tenant would simply not pay. And, the, and ordinarily, the landlord's solution to that is you evict the, the idiot who refuses to pay and uh, throw him out on the sidewalk. Well, you couldn't do that because of the eviction moratorium. So tenants had all of the, of the bargaining power and rents basically didn't go up. When the eviction moratorium was lifted, rents surged partly just to make up that difference. The landlords put rents back to where they should have been, and that led to a surge in rental inflation. Um, and also rents had to had partly you know, went up partly because they had to chase down home prices. Home prices had predictably surged when the money supply um, when the money supply surged because that's what asset prices do. Um, and uh, and so, so it, rents were low in COVID and then high coming out of COVID. Uh, after that surge, and in line with the leveling off of the housing market, uh, home prices declined very slightly in nominal terms and, and kind of meaningfully in real terms. But there's a big housing shortage, so housing prices were never going to fall very much, and now they're going back up. But the housing market leveled off, and so rent started to level off too. Um, and the, the rental survey in the CPI lags changes in new rents because CPI is measuring, um, the entire stock of, you know, 
of renters, the existing renters, and the new renters. And so that just does, that changes more slowly than if you just track new renters. Uh, and new rents in some cases, especially in cities, as people you know out migrate from cities, um, and by the way, cities are overrepresented in the private and the repeat rent indices. Um, but rents in some cases were even declining. And, and so some of those indices have been declining, leading people to say, well, just wait long enough and, and overall CPI, the rent, primary rents in the CPI will decline. Um, and quite a few forecasters believe and still believe that rent is going to outright decline in the CPI, meaning that existing renters are going to be paying lower rents going forward. Now, none of my models, and I've talked about this before, but none of my models have anything like that happening, and it strikes me as being irrational. Most of my models have rents falling from the 7 or 8% per year range down to around 3%. But it's hard to get rents for the entire nation to decline when landlord costs are rising strongly. Remember, the landlord is paying higher interest rates, um, especially if they have a floating rate mortgage, but anyone who's buying a building and renting it now has to pay uh, higher interest rates, higher taxes, energy costs are going up. And meanwhile, there's a huge influx of new immigrants who need housing. So landlords might lower rents if they have a vacancy just to, just to stay, you know, so for that small turnover, they might lower rents just to stay at a hundred percent capacity. Uh, but they're not going to lower them for their existing tenants because they can't. They can't lower rents for everyone or they're not going to be able to pay their mortgages. They're not going to be able to pay their taxes. It'll be a bad deal to be a landlord. And so um, and so, just rationally, it seems, especially when the housing stock itself is going up again. So if, you're, if you want to become a landlord and buy a building, that's, those prices are going up again. And so all of those things put together mean that it's just rationally hard to understand why you would think you're going to have rents declining. Now, if you thought that surge that we had in rents, which was, you know, 7 8% was, un, was, was the weird part and there's going to be a payback, then, then that's why you'd think that rents will decline. But as I said earlier, rents rising was a payback for the, for the fact that they were they were unnaturally held down. Uh, and, and again, with so much money in the system, it's very hard to, to imagine why rents would go back to the old level. So, so there is no payback coming for that surge in rents. That surge in rents was the payback for the eviction moratorium. Uh, and so that's why I think that a lot of the forecasters out there are, are just, frankly, I think they're going to be playing wrong on rents. Um, and, uh, and that means that that ultimately they're going to be wrong on, on where inflation is going. And this month, because we're talking about this month, owner's equivalent rent rose 0.56% month on month, which was a lot higher than, than last month. And rent of primary residents rose 0.49%, also higher than last month, although that wasn't a big change. But those are both higher than I expected, higher than I think any, anyone else forecasting out there expected. And, and we know those numbers are are coming down in the grand scheme of things. They're decelerating. Uh, they were just falling too fast before. They were, that's part of the reason that we had low core numbers the last month or two. And so 
now they've gone back up to pay that back a little bit. But but in the grand scheme of things, if you average over three or four months, you're going to see rents continue to decelerate for, for a while. And that's the main reason, that was the, the main reason overall that core inflation was as high as it was, given that you had misses lower in used cars and, and airfares. Now, the risk is that some economists are going to say, well, this is all about the miss in rents. And so once we you know, get the rents back normally, then you're going to have core inflation be 2% again. Um, that's a mistake. Uh, as I said, some of those expected ads, used cars, airfares, didn't materialize. And, and they still are going to. Um, and while the breadth of inflation continues to narrow, about a third of the basket outside of owner's equivalent rent, about a third of the basket is still rising faster than 4% year on year. The breadth of inflation is narrowing, um, but we've just about exhausted the decline in core goods. Core goods is now flat year on year, while core services is still rising 5.7%. And while core goods might stay down around price stability for a bit, thanks to the strong dollar, it's hard to see how you can sustainably have goods prices go flat um, with deglobalization and re-onshoring and near-shoring and things like that happening. So, again, we're about done with the core goods declining and, and used cars and new cars are a big part of that core goods, too. We're about done with the health insurance dragging and we're pricing in a much larger, much sharper decline in rents than we've been getting so far. So, the easiest, the easy part in all of this inflation coming down from seven to four is is done, and the hard part is still ahead. My early guess at next month's core inflation. By the way, this is way too early to be making a forecast, but if you just kind of take, you know, rents back where they probably should be, but reverse that health insurance from a drag of four basis points to an add of two basis points and put used cars going up instead of down um, and add a little bit for airfares, then you get to a core inflation around 0.4%. Um, and uh, and that that's going to scare some people. But I think other people are going to forecast this in the, in the mid-0.3s, maybe low-0.3s, um, but I'm probably going to be higher than, than they are by a little bit. I've been saying for a while that core where we'd end 2023 would be core inflation in the high threes, low fours. And, and we're on track for that. That's just slightly lower than we are now. Uh, the easy comps are kind of past us, so it's going to be harder to make those year-in-year -year numbers come down very much, especially when we know going forward we've got health insurance adding and some other things. Um, and uh, for 2024, we might get to the low to mid threes in core, 4% on median um, because of the continued decline, deceleration in uh, in rents. But any more than that, and, and that, that deceleration in rents should be basically done by the middle of next year, anything more than that is going to be really, really hard to get much lower than the low to mid threes in core. So, Nothing's changed in my outlook. I've been saying all those things for a while, and, and I, they're still the, the case. Incidentally, uh, Praxis Financial Publishing did a nice Q&A with me uh, late last week. There's a link in the show notes where I also talk about why inflation is likely to have trouble going down to the Fed's target and why we're 
probably in for a lengthy period of persistent and annoying, if not terrible, inflation. Those of you who have listened to all these podcasts will find that a lot of it is familiar to you, but it is a really, really good summary and a very well done Q&A. Um, speaking of the Fed, what do they do now? We got a core CPI that's high enough to make clear that the, the numbers we got in June and July were the aberrations. Remember, those were like, you know, high point ones and, and, and whatever. Um, and those were, but those made people very, very excited, but those are now clearly the aberrations when you kind of go look at, at where the months have come out. So we're still running basically with 0.3s on a month-to-month basis, which is mid 3% on core. So does the Fed keep tightening uh, if inflation is still that high? And, and you know, the, the super core is also remaining elevated um, as median wages are still rising faster than 5%. So does the Fed keep tightening? Well, hopefully by now. Um, so I, my short answer is I don't think so. They could get another 25 basis point token just for the hell of it. But, but hopefully by now, after 500 basis points of tightening did very, very little to bring down inflation uh, outside of the rents. Um, and, and by the way, if you, if you haven't, you should look at my blog from June on, on the topic about interest rates, whether interest rate, you know, interest rate hikes should bring down inflation. There's a link in the show notes to that blog. Um, but after 500 bips of tightening didn't do much to bring down inflation, hopefully the Fed is getting the hint that another 25, another 50, another 100 isn't going to be the answer. And we hope that that at some point they notice that the effect of their action. Now, what we've we've heard them say is, well, the long and variable lags must be getting even longer because we're not really seeing the effect. Okay. Or it could be that, that interest rates, hiking interest rates, don't have a huge effect on inflation. But whatever. Um, continuing to shrink the, um, well, so more, more hikes will succeed in slowing the economy. And, and the hikes they've done are having that effect. But they're not going to affect inflation in a meaningful way. Um, and in fact, again, going back to that Q&A that I just referenced, um, higher interest rates tend to increase velocity, which makes the problem worse in some ways. Continuing to shrink the balance sheet is imperative. They've been doing it. They've been very consistent about that. And I'm very happy about that. But it's going to get more difficult to do that when the recession arrives and the persistent large budget deficits, which will get larger when we have a recession, combined with smaller trade deficits means that it will be harder and harder for the Fed to be selling bonds when we need more and more domestic purchasers of bonds to, to you know, fill that in. Uh, but that was always going to be the next chapter. Any central bank can tighten when inflation is high and growth is strong. That's easy. It's, although, as I've said, the Fed does deserve some credit for actually doing it, because I had thought that they were permanently doves, and uh, and at least under the power Fed, they're not as dovish as I thought they were going to be. Okay, but that was still the easy part. The question is, what are you going to do when inflation is high and growth is weak? That's the hard part. And uh, so buckle up, <laughs> because the hard part has started. And now back to the top. The trivia question today was, uh, in the 11th century, what did the 
what did the wife of Earl Leofric of Mercia do to persuade him to change his evil ways, according to legend? Well, the wife of the Earl was, was named Lady Godiva. And if I had told you that, you probably would know that, according to legend, uh, she rode through Coventry on a horse while naked in order to persuade her, her husband to change his evil ways. Why that would persuade him to change his evil ways, not a clue. I guess I got to go back and read the legend. But, uh, but anyway, that, uh, that's the answer to the trivia question. And that is all for today's podcast. Uh, please like and subscribe. Go to the blog. Sign up for the, the free blog. Uh, there's a link in the show notes. You can contact me at inflationguy at enduringinvestments.com. And you can follow me for free on Twitter or X or whatever at inflation underscore guy. And, and visit Enduring Investments, uh, our new website, if you've gotten an inflation challenge or want to know more about what we do. And most importantly, and always, defend your money. And if inflation is coming for you, remember, you know a guy. 